There you have another episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero, and hosted by the Heroes Media Group Network. This particular guest on our show, I should have interviewed him, and we smoke and joke about it, but I should have interviewed him six years ago when I didn't even have a podcast. He has a great story. He's out there. Uh, he has been helping veterans ever since he transitioned. Uh, and then some, we appreciate who he is, and I appreciate you listening. This is Mr. Bennett Tanton of Battlesite Technologies. Thank you. Your steely-eyed killer shadow in the night. You were born to fight. You gotta light em up. My name is John Krotek, and I want to welcome you to Straight Outta Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. We're here to honor the wisdom of America's most valuable asset for combat veterans. We're authentic, we're empowering, we're American. My guest for this episode of Straight Outta Combat Radio is somebody who I should have had on here. We were just laughing about it six years ago before I even had a podcast. But he is the vice president of Battlesite Technologies. Many of you know him already. And for those who don't, his name is Bennett Tanton. Bennett is a former reconnaissance Marine and a U.S. Army infantryman. He holds a B.A. in security management and is a graduate of 2014 Entrepreneurship Boot Camp for Veterans with Disabilities at Syracuse University. I know it's freezing cold up there now. Bennett is the co-founder of Cigars and Sea Stories podcast and is the managing editor of Change Your POV podcast network. He also works as a contributor and advisor to publications, companies, and organizations. He is a certified peer support specialist and has dedicated his life to helping veterans navigate the system and aid them in aiding value to their communities. And I got to tell you, I'm very honored and humbled to have Bennett Tanton here on Straight Outta Combat Radio. Welcome, Bennett. Hey, John, I appreciate it, and you make me sound way cooler than I actually am. Uh, you're pretty cool, man. <laughs> Come on. <let's> go. <laughs> you're pretty cool. So That's uh, pretty funny. You know, but I, I was just joking, you know, should have had you on six years ago. The reality is is that you are highly respected. Uh, you know, we always hear stuff on people, but you know what? I never hear any stuff on you, Bennett. So, you know, that's a good thing. Well, maybe it is, and I don't know, but it is a, a good thing. And I got to tell you, you know, I was honored to be on your show last year, and uh, I just apologize for not having you on much sooner. Oh, no. that You know, it's one of those things, and we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, too. We don't – we're not doing what we do here to get, like, reciprocal stuff or make money or, or any of this type of – thing i mean we do this because it's in our heart it's in our blood this is what we do right you're we're out here trying to give people knowledge help them do what they be them be their best selves at my partner and change your pov which is is kind of as people might go look into this it's kind of defunct at this point um we had some we had some things and we just had to close down change your pov but who knows? We'll come back with something different. Well, we've, we've already got something in the works, but we'll go into that later. But my uh, partner there, Eddie Lazary, always used the phrase, we want to make people as successful out of uniform as they were when they were in. Because uh, a lot of people, that's their story. They, they, they identify themselves with who they were in, in the military, but that's not the case anymore. Because we're not 
you'll never be a soldier, sailor, airman, or marine ever again. You're a veteran now, right? Mm-hmm. So, so let's so let's focus on where we're going, not where we came from. Yeah, totally, so. totally right on that. I'm tracking with that, and you're right. You know, we don't do this because we're after some kind of reciprocal agreement or we're after, you know, piles of cash that, you know, don't really exist in podcasting, but, but, but you're right, you know, and, and how can we use our, unless, unless you're like Joe Rogan, <laughs> then it's a whole different ball game, but, but, you know, you're right, but, you know, but you're right. You know, how do we carry on the mission when we're at a uniform and on, funny enough, I can still wear my, my, you know, my dress, you know, my class A's, but you know, that's a different story, but uh, there was I a time. I cannot, so you're lucky. <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. So, you know, before we get to battle site technologies, you know, which I know you guys are doing phenomenal. There's been a lot of great press and a lot of great things you guys are doing there. Let's talk about your childhood and the Tanton household and who your influences were as a child. Okay. So I, I'm a, I'm actually adopted. Um, I was born to a teenage mother who gave me up for adoption. Uh, thank you very much. I mean, not that it was whatever, but it afforded me to be able to have a better life than, than who knows, uh, where I would have ended up. Right. Um, so I was adopted in a, like arranged adoption. Right. And I grew up in Illinois. I don't, my biggest influence in my life was probably my mother. Uh, which is a good thing and a bad thing. I, 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 it's, I didn't grow up with a real strong father figure in my life. Uh, there were, you know, surrogate, you know, like my uncle and <clears throat> some people like that, friends, dads and whatnot. But I basically was the thrown into being the man of the house at age 10, mm-hmm. you know, right. my, where my father, uh, my adopted father went, he went to prison and, you know, that was kind of that. It's uh, it's not an easy story. I didn't have the a really good childhood, but there's people that have way worse childhoods than I had, right? Um, I get it. Was, was there was there any military influence? You know, because you did make it not only to the Marine Corps but to the Army. You know, obviously something was going on there. Yeah, my my mother's father, my, my grandfather, who I never knew, he passed away before I was even born. He had served in the army, but that was like something I just fell into. Truly the military was, I was, uh, you know, graduating high school athlete didn't, I was good at sports. So I had some offers to go to school and play soccer and, uh, also volleyball. And then I just didn't want to go to school. I I was done with that. It was just like I couldn't fathom going to school, even though I was doing something I, that I like to do in sports. Uh, I was sitting in a career, the the career lounge, I guess is what you would call it, where the counselors, you know, yeah. their offices are. And I was literally going through books. I'm like, what am I going to do? And And a Marine Corps recruiter walked in the door. And uh, made a beeline, made a beeline for me. I actually know him now. It's he's retired gunnery sergeant Kevin Daniels, great guy, uh, and I'm still in contact with him today, which is hysterical. But that's awesome, man. So, so did he walk in, in in the dress uniform? Yeah. Well, he wasn't. He wasn't in his full blues. He was in like his what was it? I guess it would be Charlie's. So he had the the blue and you know the blue pants on with the with the khaki shirt, that whole thing. 
Well, you know, I mean, my goodness. But it's still a sharp uniform. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? You know, that's, you know, we kind of smoke and joke about it, but that uniform is probably one of the most distinguished uniforms anywhere in the military around the globe. There's something right. really impressive it's about that. That's true. I, I agree. So you went in the Marine Corps first then. That was it? That was all she wrote was the uniform yeah. or, or what was up? Well, yeah, that was it. And uh, I remember him going, okay, well, we got to get you to take the ASVAB. I took the ASVAB. I scored very well. Um, but then I went into the Marine Corps open contract. I did not select an MOS. Now, this is back in 1992. Right. Um, I didn't select an MOS. So it was basically you're going to either be infantry or you're going to be a cook. And frankly, I was okay with either one of those, <laughs> well, which is, which is so bizarre. That's crazy. But, but man. Yes. I was, I was okay with either one because I really like to cook and, you know, infantry was like, ah, this is a challenge. This is cool. So, uh, I ended up not knowing what my MOS was going to be until I, uh, you know, two days before graduation. Next thing I know they're, Hey, you're going to be an infantryman. And the next thing I know I'm in infantry training at uh, Camp Lejeune, Camp Geiger, North Carolina, and uh, went through all that and then got to main side Camp Lejeune into receiving. And it was the, we, we got there late one evening. So we slept, we ate chow, we slept, got up the next morning to do whatever the heck we were going to do, which was clean and basically start in processing. And we saw these two dudes walk in, with and they had they both had jump and dive bubbles and neither uh jump wings and dive bubbles and neither of us none of us had really seen that hmm. so we're like what is this marine with the shiny stuff on his uniform right because the the marine corps still wore the they didn't wear the patches or like the army does you know right so gold wings were gold and a dive bubble was silver so and, so what was going on tell us so, so they, they started talking to our, the sergeant that was in charge of us, like, hand, and he's all, you know, yells out school circle, everybody runs over there and he introduces these gentlemen as guys from reconnaissance battalion. And we're like, okay, I actually looked at my buddy and I went, what the heck's recon? And he goes, I think they're like snipers and stuff and like do low, you know, high speed, low drag stuff. And I was like, I looked at him and I was like, you want to try? And he's like, cause they were asking for volunteers to try out. And I'm like, I look at him and I'm like, you want to try? And he's like, sure. So I went into this not knowing anything about what the heck Marine Corps reconnaissance was at all. Well, and, isn't uh, there something they tell you don't, don't, don't volunteer for anything. So yeah, true, true story. But we were just like, you know what, let's give it a shot. You're glad you did. So I, yeah, yeah. So. I get it. Go ahead. So what happened, man? So you're so oh, now, now you find yourself got, in recon school. Yeah. I ended up getting, you know, thrashed for about an entire day, you know, in the, the first, the first test is in the pool. So they put you in the pool and that's, I've learned through my life now and, and through my military career, that's where you separate men from boys is in the pool. If you want to hear a grown man scream for his mama, put him in a pool and make him swim. Uh, when you've got other people in there, you know, sharking people and, and, and putting the boots to guys that'll, that'll test somebody's metal really fast mm. and, and what they can actually take. Right. So how long were you guys in the pool all day or what was- well, we did, we did a couple different tests, like swim tests with rifles. Some of them were underwater, but the one that really smoked everybody was, and it was, it was a 10 minute, it was only 10 minutes. And I say that now 
looking back saying only 10 minutes, but we had boots and utes on and we were, we had to tread water for 10 minutes. Well, five minutes through you probably had, we had 26 guys going to the pool and you had guys treading water and slowly one or two, five minutes in one or two guys are, you know, swimming to the side. Like I quit, I'm done. Right. And that's all you had to do is quit. But you had to say those words. I quit. Very psychological, right? Yeah. So um, five minutes in, then all of a sudden we hear, we see in the the guys doing the indoc start putting fins and masks on and they start jumping in the pool. And we're, I'm like thinking, okay, well, they're just there to make sure because guys were getting really tired. They're just making sure nobody drowns. <laughs> the next thing I know, they start grabbing people and pulling them under. Wow. Yeah, it was it was brutal. I got pulled under a few times and fought it hard and was like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. Like I was on the verge of quitting. And it was the biggest gift. One of the biggest gifts that anybody ever gave me in my military career was the instructor, the guy. And I can't remember his name for the life of me, but I can see his face right now. So if I ever saw him again, I'd recognize him. But I can't remember his name. He whispered in my in my ear. He goes, don't fight it. That's all he said was don't fight it. So I basically at that point, I was so out of energy anyway. He took me down. I went limp. He took me to the bottom of the pool and let me go. I came up. Another guy came by, grabbed me, took me to the bottom of the pool, but I went limp. I didn't fight it. So that's it's and and that's the only reason I made it. Seven guys made it out of the pool out of 26 starting. Wow. Well, congratulations. I never, you know, knew that, you know, Marine recon went through the pool treatment, but now we do. And, and so then that was the beginning of a lot of fun then, I guess. Yeah. 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 To say the least. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you were obviously an athlete. You, you had great determination. Was there, you know, and that seems like a very significant point. Is there anything else that happened in, in, you know, in your training that sticks out like that it, story? Yeah, it really just the the all that really hard training basically just makes you realize how much you actually have inside you to give. Um and so many times people limit themselves, right? And this is just one of those things like they push you past into limits that you had no idea that you could withstand. But a lot of that's in your mind, too, and it's about not not quitting. It's just about not letting it – taking it literally minute by minute by minute at some point if you have to. Not taking it even day by day, hour by hour, but minute by minute. Like Because that, that urge to just quit and throw your hands up is there for a lot of things in life, right? So just – Definitely some Just, great points, man, because, you know, yeah. I'm going to hear you, Ben, because, you know, even, at, of course, you went in the Army Infantry, too, but, I mean, even when I was in the service, there were so many times in basic training, you were like, holy crap, am I, how am I ever going to make it through this next stage? It's like, and, why am I here? Yeah, I'm. that happened, like, the first day when they came in screaming about the grass, what makes the grass grow and all this, and I'm like... <laughs> Holy right. cow, what did I do? I could be home back home in Florida on the beach, but here I am in basic training, yeah, you right. know. Like why am I here? <laughs> it's, but you know right. what, great points you make. And so when you graduated, you know, obviously a feeling of great accomplishment, but did did any of your family show up? Did they come to see you? Not not to that. That was kind of like the we 
that was a long stretch of training, whether we went through, uh, once we went through the in-doc, we got through recon, uh, training and whatnot. And then we kind of started doing these JTF missions, this joint task force missions. So we, we were right from, you know, training right into the, right into mission, like real life stuff. Uh, and that was basically the JTF missions were doing, uh, joint task force drug interdiction stuff out West in California. We did some in Alaska a little bit in, um, Arizona and stuff like that. No, so, man, there was nothing coming in over the border, was there? No, no, not at all. <laughs> yeah, right. So, <laughs> you know, a lot of a lot of uh, people growing weed on national forest land. Wow. So, we dealt with some of that stuff and, you know, so I didn't I didn't and and again, I mean, like I didn't really have the my mom was there, but it's it's just that family structure didn't exist for me at that point. Not really. Yeah. You know what I mean? It did, but it didn't. And it was just I always I always kind of felt a little detached from it all. Right. So kind of a loner as a kid, too. Um, that I guess the biggest place where I, where this all started, where I really got a lot of the the inclining to do stuff with like leadership and whatnot. And it's it's cliche now and people will be like, oh, but it's uh, I was it was in the Boy Scouts. The Boy Scouts were a different animal when you and I were young than it is now. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, that's where a lot of this came from and a lot of the uh, love for this type of work kind of happened. It's, so. it's great that you, you know, this is kind of cool, man, because it's great that you mentioned the Boy Scouts because, and tell me if you can, res, this resonates. You're right, I was a Boy Scout, but when we got in there, when we got into our basic training, you know, rotation, the guys that sometimes, like, and we were outdoors a lot, you know that. The guys that had had been in the scouts adapted, like, extremely quick. It was amazing to me how many guys that came from these big cities were just freaked out to be out in the woods. And to guys like us that had been in scouts, it was almost like second nature. It was actually fun to an extent. <laughs> it I mean, was. It, it's right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, especially land nav, you know, because we did use compass oh, yeah. and map reading skills and all that. So if you're listening, I'm not sure how much the Boy Scouts has changed, but I'm sure it has. But if you're listening and you're a young person and you're thinking about doing something in the military, like Bennett just points out, think about being in the Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts first uh, before you even think about going in and you'll have an edge up. Yeah, there's a lot of controversy with that now because the Boy Scout, like the traditional Boy Scouts, like we like we them? were in, they actually allow girls now. Um, and it's there's been this whole rebranding and it's it's bizarre. When when it gets to a point when the Girl Scouts are suing the Boy Scouts, something's gone awry, Gosh, right? I didn't even know so, about that, man. What yeah, what planet so, have so I been look on? Look into that. I don't know. I but it's it's kind of madness. But there's other options out there too. So it's just one of those things or, hey, as a, uh, you know, seasoned outdoors kind of guy or or someone who might have some kids and and you want to start an organization, I think it's kind of ripe for the taking at this point as an entrepreneurial pursuit is probably starting an organization like the Boy Scouts in your local area at the very least. Just saying. Yeah, that's good. There's there's some strife out there with within the organizations. I mean, they had some scandals with uh, pedophiles and some things like that. So who, you know, the, the reputation, unfortunately of the boy scouts of America has been pretty tarnished. So I see it now operation vision quest or something like that. Yeah. It's crazy. It's definitely, 
definitely weird. But there's some other uh, there are other um, organizations out there that are doing really good things. Uh, a lot of them are local or regional too. So, you know, there's always those organizations out there teaching young, young men and women leadership skills before, you know, and, and I, I encourage anyone to get involved in that stuff because for me it was in, totally invaluable. Couldn't agree with you more. So you're, so you're a Marine working recon, you're out West doing drug interdiction. Was that your, was that how you ended your career out there before you got into the army? How did all that army transition? Yeah, take? because I got out in 1996. So this was really before any of the current stuff was going on. Right. right. Um, I got out in 1996, decided I didn't want to be in the Marines anymore. And on all honesty, it was, I got out for my ex-wife. Um, yeah, don't ever do that. <laughs> but, but, uh, I hear you, you know, so do what's in your heart. Don't necessarily. I mean, sometimes you have to make sacrifices, but that goes both ways. Right. So I got out and uh, I became a law enforcement officer for a while. That didn't work out. I went and got my series seven and was a stockbroker for a while. That didn't really work out. Um, sold insurance, was in security contracting, did uh couple different types of that work within strike security and executive protection and things like that all within about a year and a half so i was literally jumping from job to job to job to job to job trying to find a home um so this transition you know difficulty and transition stuff is not a new thing as you know as uh, guys like we both know like stephen coon guys like that'll say these things it, it wasn't any easier getting out in 93 than it was in 2003 you know what i mean absolutely uh, Different problems, though. Different strife, maybe. You didn't have a lot of the combat issues. But then I was like, you know what? My marriage was ending, and I'm like, I've got to go back to what I know. So I was, I went back, and I talked to the Marine Corps recruiter because I was like, well, I'll just go back in the Marines. And they're like, yeah, we can do that, but we're going to take rank from you, number one. And number two, uh, there was it was kind of up in the air whether I would be able to go back to – because at that point – uh, they had dissolved the reconnaissance battalions. Um, so my MOS was there still, but it was like defunct. Like, you, yeah, yeah. kind of like out and floating around. Like they had regimental recon and they had a couple different options, but it was, it would have been not easy. Um, it, not that it wouldn't have not been easy. It just would have, you know, you're going in and I would have been a wayward guy, you know, as a Lance corporal again, like what the heck? Uh, starting from scratch almost. And I was like, forget this. So I went, I walked right across the hall to the army recruiter and they're like, Oh yeah, we'll put you in as an E4. And, uh, next thing I know I'm at, you know, I had to lose some weight. And the next thing I know I'm going from literally being a civilian sitting on the couch to being in the army. So you went to Fort Benning? No, Fort, uh, I went straight to, because I didn't have to go to boot camp. I didn't have to do any training. Wow. I literally went from being a civilian to reporting at Fort Drum, 10th Mountain Division, with nothing but the clothes on my back. I literally had no I, – I didn't have any money. I was broke. Um, the whole thing, I hadn't shaved in a day. So the, you know, the duty sergeant was like, what the heck is – who's this guy? I didn't even have <laughs> – I didn't even have uniforms. So he goes, oh, you're one of those guys. Let me see your paperwork. So he goes, oh, Marine. Yeah. And, you know, then the Marine Corps, you know, do you like crayons? The whole thing, it, it all, you know, uh, yeah, the RAS yeah, yeah. started right at that point. 
and that was funny and it was great. Ha ha. But, uh, you know, so that was a whole nother, that was a crazy transition. What year was that? What year? 1998. Okay. So you're at Fort Drum when 9-11 kick, when when 9-11 happened? Actually, I was deployed to Egypt when it happened. Yeah. So that we were on the multinational force and observers uh, mission there. And it was a little weird seeing all this happening from an outside lens overseas. Right. That was, we were so mad. It was like, uh, oh, and then, you know, once, as soon as the, the aircraft slammed into the Pentagon, they put us all on high alert and we were on guard duty basically for the next two months. Huh. So, Yeah. Well, that, yeah, as you know, you're the first one that we've actually, first person that we've interviewed that was outside the country when it happened. So, yeah, you got to see all the video feeds and yeah, there was definitely. Yeah, we watched, we actually yeah. watched it. My, my roommate and I were watching it on AFN um, because Good Morning America is on at like three in the afternoon there. Right. So we, we had been off, uh, we were on a guard duty rotation. And we had been off and we had, I remember I had just gotten out of the shower, came in and we were watching AFN on this little like 13 inch piece of crap TV that we had in our room. And the, I, I saw the second plane slam into the towers as the like scroll, like they're, you know, how they would do like time and temperature in like Atlanta and Charlotte and they would show all these things and they'd show the temperature as it was in commercial. Right? right, because they didn't have commercials on AFN. So the backdrop that morning happened to be the World Trade Center, which is pretty ironic. And the next thing I know is they flash back to live TV and they show the two plumes coming out of the sides. But my friend and I, my roommate and I, had seen the second one happen, and we're like, "What in the heck is that?" Literally looked like something flew into the Trade Center. Well, it's because it did. Um. You know, so then we're watching it. Everyone piles into our room because we were one of the only ones that had a TV. And then as soon as uh, the Pentagon got hit, everyone's like, yeah, it was alert. They they pulled alert. You know, the sergeant major called alert on the on the base. So we all literally had to run to our posts. <laughs> well, you know, and I, you know, it's kind of you know what's happening. Exactly. You know, and I know that everybody that was alive then and were old enough to comprehend it can probably remember where they were at it's funny now that you mention it because while you were watching it over in the desert in egypt i was home in florida watching another television and and i saw the same thing i saw my buddy had called me from new york city to tell me that a plane had had uh ran into the building you know had flown into it. and then while we're sitting there watching it because we didn't know what it was at first we didn't know it was an airliner he thought it was a small aircraft yeah and then then the next one hit and we knew right away that we were under attack yeah, it was not good at that point. Yeah. Um, and, and well, we really we still didn't quite know what was going on until until the Pentagon got hit. And then we we all it was literally within 30 seconds of that. They called general quarters. So we all everyone's running, grabbing their their kit and running out. What did you and everyone's so, so confused? So that was the feeling, mainly confusion, like what the hell's going on? Yeah, like what the hell just happened? And then once once it all got hashed out, we were so it was just we were pissed. Did you and see then, any reaction from the local people that were there when you got? Yeah, it? later on, uh, especially once we went into Afghanistan, which was you know very soon thereafter, there were some protests and I don't know. There was just this general like 
unrest kind of like mistrust or I don't know what it was, but also it, you got both sides of it. You got, because we also had people, um, that were very supportive, like literally apologizing and being like, I'm so sorry what's happened to your country. So it was really like this duality of, of, of emotions coming. Some were negative, some were positive, and and you know, we didn't know who to trust, kind of, right. to, to, to be honest with you. Um, so it was how soon, how It was soon, really bizarre. I'm sure it was. You know, how soon was it after that that you that you ended up in Afghanistan? Oh no, I I never deployed to Afghanistan. Okay. So, so oh you're right the, never, the country was the I, country was out, was in Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah, correct, correct. What I meant is that like well actually the first unit in there besides special forces I think was like the Rangers. Um and they were all in there I think by October November, right? Yep. yep. So within or, but once that became public, that's what I mean. Once Wait. that became public, it was uh it was there was a backlash a little bit. And um, we have we have heard that story that the the horse soldiers the SF oh, guys yeah. that were in yes, there, yes. absolutely, great story. Yeah, really great story. So I so didn't you, watch the movie though. Did you see the movie? I did see the movie. I'm not sure how much of it was Hollywood. Actually, yeah, one of those exactly. one of the horse soldiers uh, is a friend of a friend, and I was actually supposed to talk to him soon about being on the show, but that would be an interesting conversation. But so tell us what's going on. So you guys are confused. You're in Egypt. So people finally are figuring it out. There's this mixed message thing going on. Did it embolden you? You said you were pissed. I mean, was it like, holy. Yeah, we were pissed. And it was kind of like, we just wanted to get put in the game. You know what I mean? Like put me in coach. I mean, we were over there doing a peacekeeping mission. So we came back. Uh, let's see. We were there till March. Got home and immediately we got home and started a train up for Afghanistan uh, for, I guess it was June, July, July of the next year. So 2003. So we got back in March of 2002 and we knew that we were deploying July of 2003. So how did that go down? Would you guys? Well, we did, we did the whole train up and see, uh, I'll get to this. This is, this is part of my, some of my, issues right like my with my transition and whatnot i we got back and and um we started this train up and i was a i was a team leader at the time and you know had guys that we were we were doing all this training and all this great stuff and whatnot and i had met a i met a girl who is now my wife um and funny how that happens yeah and we started getting really serious and this was may the summer of of 2002 and so you know we start dating and and whatnot and we're still doing all this train up and and everything and i know that i'm deploying you know did the jrtc thing went to uh i think we went to ntc again the national training center yep and then um I decided I, I had actually taken the warrant officer test um, to go to flight school. And I had also been kicking around maybe putting in an F- SF packet and going trying to get a slot to go to SFAS. I just knew that none of this was going to happen before I deployed, right? So 
I I knew that I wanted something different than just being in the infantry. And I had already been through some of this stuff with in, in my Marine Corps career. Um with actual I wouldn't call it combat. It's it's yeah. not it wasn't combat, but it was, you know, real real two way range stuff, like, you know, raiding, doing drug raids and things like that. And it's it's not necessarily fun. It's just not. I mean, it's cool and it's great, but I also know there's there's inherent risk. And I knew I'm not a cat. I don't have nine lives, right? Right. And I had been in enough hairy situations that I I came to a point where I needed to either re-enlist or get out. And I made the choice to get out. And that was right before our deployment. Uh, I was... I went on terminal leave in April. Uh, my ETS date was May 21st. They stop lost everybody June 1st in my MOS. Um, so I basically made it out nine days under the under the stop loss time. So you were uh, so you were 10th Mountain Division. That was yes. The, yeah. And I have a lot of. I, I made that decision, um, and I'm glad that I did, but I also have a lot of guilt behind that because I know guys that went deployed and died, and would that have happened if I was there? You know what I'm saying, that whole thing. It's like I had trained for this my entire adult life, and yet when it was time to go in the game, I decided to get out. So I have some mixed feelings about that. Not Not as much as I used to. I've gotten through a lot of it. Um, and it's not one of those instances of woe is me, uh, you know, because I didn't go through, you know, one tenth of what these guys did when they were deployed over there. Well, there's, right? you know, there's a bunch of different ways of looking at, it. you know, I'm not a combat veteran. And, right. and you know, it, when I, I got out right before the first Gulf War and right. I got, I got a call from my first sergeant. I was an E5 and he said, you know, Hey, we've got a slot open. Uh, don't really know what's going on, but I can tell you we're painting the tracks for the desert. And I'm like, you know, really? I mean, you know, I was back home trying to make a life and I, I, I didn't go back in. Of course, we didn't know that nine months later we'd be at war with, with, you know, with Iraq. Right. But, but, but again, you know, you, there's sometimes I, I, I sometimes wonder what had happened if I had gone back in, reenlisted. In fact, I was like you, terminal leave. And then, you know, what would have happened? And my first sergeant, who I love dearly, the last one we had, no, I didn't want his Budweiser, but he, he, he said to me one time, John, you didn't miss anything. He said, you served your country, you got out when you, when you got out, and you could have been the guy that stepped on something. You served your country, be happy with it, drive on, yeah, soldier. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, yeah. And, and, and that's what, you know, I'm not one of those guys that I, you know, I mean, I've seen my sheriff harry situations but again it's not the same it's just not the same deploying to buy deployed to bosnia on two separate occasions that's different than deploying to iraq it just is now on paper they can i'm considered a combat veteran i don't consider myself that way though you know what i mean um not not in the same fashion uh so i mean it's not that i didn't see stuff in my career but it's just not that's not what it's about. That's not what me, I, I don't have those conflicts and try to like be something more than I am because, you know, and I know that you're exactly the same way. It's about being authentic. Right. And, and you should be proud of what you've done. Um, I've done some of the hardest training that the military could throw at me and, and made it through it alive and learned 
you know, and, and I urge folks to just, just be who you are, be true to yourself, be true to your career, be true to your family and just be proud of who and what you did. Don't compare yourself to others. It's not worth it. It, you know, I mean, unless you're a complete scumbag, which, uh, you know, some of us are, but you know, it's, it's one of those things you have to live with that. So try to be the best person, the most truthful and honest person that you can be. And, and just don't hold that, that, you know, well, he's a real badass, and who am I? I've got to stand. I've got to. I've got to be able to kind of compare myself to him, right? And and then you end. People end up lying, and it just doesn't make any sense. It, it's no, it's it, not. It, it's it's just not good. Well, you know, you point out something great, and this is one reason why you know it's great to talk about these things because what you you know don't don't ever compare yourself with others, and 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 if you do then there's going to be a portion of your personality or character that's not going to be authentic. Yeah, and, and, and it's you know, It sounds easier said than done because it's tough for a lot of people because we all, we're, we're constantly subconsciously, I guess, at times comparing ourselves to others. But when you finally get to the point where you don't need to do that, which you don't really need to do anyways, then you can fully move ahead. So, so you, you, you know, so you had some guilt. You've grown out of the guilt. How did you get to battle site technologies? Tell us about that. And then... Tell us about battle site technologies. So got to battle. we had, you know, I, I've had a few different podcasts, different iterations, cigars and sea stories, change your POV, uh, worked with a whole bunch of great guys, interviewed everybody from, you know, a presidential candidate in the 2016 election to, you know, one of my buddies that I was in the army with. Right. So just just amazing cross section of of veteran entrepreneurs and and real world business guys that work for and run Fortune 500 companies. Right. So it exposed me to all this amazing stuff and and really showed me that I could do this, too. Right. Like, like, what are you waiting for? Just get out there and do what you want to do. Right. So so we. Through Changer POV, I met a gentleman named Nick Ripplinger, who is the author. He's a um, he's an army vet and the author of oh gosh, what the heck is the name of his book now? <laughs> we have to look that Front, one up. Frontline, no, it's Frontline Leadership. You got it. Um, Frontline Leadership, and we interviewed him on Changer POV, and from that point on, we we just kind of stayed in touch, right? Just kind of like you and I. Like we, we just check in every once in a while and see how things are going, think, see how any updates and what's going on with what you're doing. Um, you know, and we, we rolled in the same circles, just like the same as you and I did on, on Facebook and Instagram. Right. Yeah. So, so one day, you know, and then we got into this, a mastermind together because a, another guy that we know started a mastermind group and we, there was five of us in the group. And we just worked on banging ideas off of each other to help each other out and figure out what we were going to do. Right. Right. So, and if you're not a part of a mastermind group or you don't have a group of like mentor peers, I suggest you go find some just saying, but we can talk about that. (laughs) We can talk about that later. Yep. Yeah. Um, Definitely something. Yeah. So I met Nick through this. And so he, so we, we had, formed an actual friendship and we 
we talk and, and whatnot. So he gives me a call one night at like 11 o'clock on a random night in August of year before last. So 2017, right? Right. And says, all right, if I said that we had a technology that would you, if, if you, if we put it together, it would be a chem light that you could write with. What, what could we do with that? Right. And I just went off. I, I went and I was explaining, you know, you could mark doors after you clear them, you could mark targets, you know, this and that. And the other thing, and there's just so many different things that we could do mission wise. Cause there's plenty of things that you can do to have fun with those instruments as well. But, um, mission wise, I explained all the different uses that I foresaw it as, as a, as an infantryman or reconnaissance man. Right. Right. And he goes, and I tell you, what if we could do it? So it's in, in infrared. So it can only be seen with night vision. So I went on again, another tirade, just to talk, you know, about different situations that this would be awesome. And in this and then and he goes, well, you want to do it? And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> it's like, is this real? Like, cause I had always had the idea of like, we need something other than chem lights. They're great, but they're not, they're not the end all be all for signaling and communicating at night. Well, right? yeah, they're definitely limited. Yeah. They're yeah. limited. Like you can't, I mean, we've all cut the tips off of a chem light and tried to write with them too. Yep. And it works for a short period of time, but whatever it's, it's just not very effective. It makes a mess. Next thing you know, you're glowing and you're a target, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah so I get it. So, so he goes, well, do you want to do it? And I, I'm like, seriously, this is real. And he goes, yep. So we, um, basically it, it's a technology for microencapsulation that was developed by the air force. We have then taken that technology licensed it from the air force and created a device. A, it's basically a crayon. Everyone can start the Marine Corps jokes. Um, it's basically a crayon. What, that, color, what colors do you have? <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. Right now all we have is IAR. And yeah, it's minty, everyone. It tastes minty. Right. Uh, I'm just kidding. Don't eat it, please. <laughs> it might, you know, anyway, that's like a whole liability statement right there. But um, so so we developed this crayon and you write with it. It's pressure activated. So when you write, those micro capsules break. They mix with other the other chemicals and they glow. So you can write messages on the wall. You can X and make you know, mark targets for, you know, whoever is up, you know, rolling cap over your position. You can, you could say, Hey, I'm going to make a giant X on the top of this building and I need you to shoot it. Right. So right. there's, there's, there's so many applications with this. We're only making it in IR and right now we're only selling it to the DOD law enforcement, specialty law enforcement uh, units and, and first responders really. Um, but it's a pretty amazing product and we will be doing follow on things with the visible spectrum ones as well. So that's awesome. So you guys have been in business how long now? So now this is, we're going on our second full year. It'll be uh, two years this, this summer. That's congratulations to you on that. So you guys are headquartered where out of New York. 
Dayton, Dayton, Ohio. Dayton, Ohio. Okay. For some reason, I was thinking New York. So, well, I'm from New York. I live in New York, and my partner lives in Dayton. So, well, I know you guys have had some great success recently too. I read an article. Tell us about. Wasn't there an article that you guys just came out where? In, yeah, it was in the Air Force Times. Um, and then also we made. Basically, it's just the the military really pushing because we've got the product fully created and we've got some tweaks that we want to do to make the shelf life a little better and this and that, but effectively it's operational now. And so one of the big pushes now with the military is this doing operations in subterranean. uh, There's so many articles that have been out about it lately and we have the perfect product for, to help people with that. You know what I mean? Yes. It's made in the United States. Yes, absolutely. All 100% made here. Well, that's nice to know. So let me ask you this. If you had a message, Bennett, if you had a message to the civilian population about veterans and, you know, especially combat veterans, what would you want them to know? Because there seems to be this negative perception at times about, you know, veterans being trigger happy and, you know, ready to explode at any moment. You know, what's the message you would like to give to those people? I, well, I think they need to just take people one person at a time for sure. I mean, there's plenty of veterans out there that aren't really good people. Let's be honest. I mean, we, well, what do we always have? We always have that rule. There's always that 10%, right? The 10% rule. We always heard it in the military. So you've got some guys or gals that, that maybe aren't the best folks, but at the end of the day, the majority of veterans are great people. Um, most of them are hard workers and I, I, you've got to give them a chance as a, as a, you just got to take it one, one person by one person, right? The stigma of whether, you know, oh, they all have PTSD or they all have mental health issues or they all just want to kill things and stuff is totally inaccurate. And anyone that actually knows a, a number of veterans knows that to be true. So I, most, I mean, there's all kinds of statistics out there. You can look them up yourself especially with uh, veterans and entrepreneurship. Um, You've got a lot of veterans that don't do well, maybe working in a office or working in a company setting, but they would do great things if they could start their own business. Right. Right. Um, So I I think it's a lot of this is, is we need to give folks the opportunities to, to truly find what they really want to do. Um, I mean, there's statistics out there that veterans on average, I think 70% of them leave their first job after service within two years. That's a pretty startling statistic, right? That is. Um, and it's not, it's not really good. It, it, uh, at the end of the day though, what do we do about that? Um, I don't have the answers for all of it, you know, and this is sort of what I do for a living to an extent is help guys, gals you know, get education that they want to do to further their goals or start their own businesses. Because part of Battle Sites, all monikers, we're going to start helping guys and gals get into entrepreneurship as well. That's something that's coming down the road, though. Um, and I, to me, uh, not every veteran is, is able to be an entrepreneur, but uh, I feel like a lot of veterans would do a good things working for other veterans maybe so you know you pointed out some great things and you know what 
you know, some great things to think about. And you're right. You know, the model of come out, start your own business may not be for everybody. No, and, absolutely and, not. And, and, and if you think that it is, you know, until you try it, you don't know. But we're seeing a lot of people, like you just said, to 70 percent, you know, failing on the first job and you know, maybe changing and not necessarily failures, just not being able to acclimate. But those are definitely some things as we move forward that we can all work together to try to alleviate. Um, absolutely. And a lot of that comes down to uh, mentorship and actual guidance. And, and you've said this. You say this all the time. Go find yourself someone that's been there, done that, got the T-shirt and let allow them to help guide you, to help bang off, you know, advice. And if you've got questions about this, that, and the other thing, I mean, that's what I'm here for. Right. So I, I tell anyone, if you've got questions, I mean, I'm talking about everything, anything that's got to do with transition, VA benefits, um, starting your own business, going to college, all this stuff, feel free to, to reach out to me. that's the way you're going to learn. You, you, you can either fail on your own or you can learn from other people's mistakes. And sometimes you need a little bit of both, but my God, lose some of the ego, right? And yeah. go out there and ask for help. There's so much help out there for veterans. Well, you know, you, we have, oh, go ahead. We have so many nonprofits and a lot of them are crap. I understand, but just don't go to one organization as they can't help you. I mean, and, and don't go looking for a handout. Look at how you can help out, right? And and get involved. Have a new mission. That's part of it. Well, you answered the second question. I was going to say, you know, you're a veteran. You're out there. You're struggling. You know, what's going on? You're male, female. It doesn't matter what branch. You know, what what is your advice? You just gave some of it. But let's say you're in that dark place. And, you know, what would your message, Bennett, be to that person? You know, I'm in a dark place. I don't know what the hell I'm going to do, but I'm not feeling good. You first thing is just you need you need to find help. That's it. It doesn't mean you have to go to the VA or go to a mental health provider. Go to an organization that's got peer peers that work there. Um, uh, call me, whatever. I, I'll, I'll point you in the right direction. You know what I mean? There's tons of people out there like myself and and like you, John, that have the resources to be able to point people in the right direction, right? But right. sometimes you have to ask. We're not we're not we don't just walk around looking for veterans to help. You have to ask. So I know that it's hard being in that dark place, and you have two choices. You can either go deeper. And end up doing something that everyone will regret, like commit suicide or something along those lines, commit crimes, get hooked on drugs, just do bad things. Or you can help yourself and just ask for help. Definitely, some, It's really yeah. that simple. Definitely some good advice. So, you know, you mentioned, so how do people find out more information uh, about Battlesite Technologies? How do they get contact information for you? And then, you know, the, the, the coup d'etat question for you, Mr. Tanton, is what does freedom mean to you and is it attainable for everybody? So contact info and freedom from your own words. So contact info for me, uh, well, you can find Battlesite Technologies at, at battlesitetech.com. You can check out the website. Um, it, type it into Google. will probably be the first page or two because our SEO is pretty strong. <laughs> and or for me, 
literally just type my name into Google and I'll be the first three pages. And at, at some point you can find my, probably one of my email addresses or, you know, reach out to me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter. I'm on all of them. So that's my contact info. It, it literally is that easy. So it's, it's Bravo, Echo, November, November, Echo, Tango, Tango. Yep. Tango, Alpha, November, Tango, Oscar, November. Correct. So it's out there everywhere. Okay. Yep. All right, brother. Listen now, and what does freedom mean to you and can everybody have it? I, I think that they can, but it comes down to mindset. Freedom to me is, is it's, it's a lot of it has to do with mindset. People have to know that they're free to do what they want in this country for the most part except for, you know, as long as you stay within the right and left lateral limits law-wise because you can't go out there and do evil shit to people. Sorry for the language. You can't do that, right? But as long as you can stay in those left and right lateral limits, you can do anything you want. And that's what freedom is to me, is being able to truly have the ability to – Say, I want to start a business with a friend of mine, right? And I have all the information at my fingertips with the internet, with mentors and other people that have been there before me to be able to just go out, do the research and make it happen and execute. You can do that in very few places in this world. I Unhindered. You really can do it unhindered here in the United States. That's what freedom is to me. It's truly having the world at your fingertips. I mean, people can look at the way that the, you know, restrictions or regulations are, or you can figure out a way to work around them. Right. Right. So, yep. So you, you have to have an open mind. That's what it comes down to. Having an open mind is truly freedom. It, and and we we have more of it here in this country than anywhere else in this in this world. Bottom line, definitely some uh, great words of wisdom about freedom. And you know, there you have Mr. Bennett Tanton, uh, U.S. Army and Marine Corps veteran, Vice President of Battle Site Technologies, creating innovative solutions to the problems on the uh, not only on the, in the combat environment but also in tactical situations, first responders, law enforcement. Uh, looking forward to hearing more from Battlesite Technologies. And all I can say is thank you very much for spending time with us on Straight Out of Combat Radio, Bennett. And I look forward to our to our next conversation. Yeah, man. Anytime. Anytime. You gotta light them up before they burn it down. Thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio, audio medicine from Green Zone Hero. If you liked what you heard, then tell others about us. Like us and download us. And please remember, freedom is not free, and combat veterans are vital assets. They're not broken.